Hooked on Art podcast is available on Spotify, Apple and YouTube. Hello guys, I'm super excited you are here with me today. The topic of the conversation today is about overcoming limiting beliefs. I've been searching for a person uh, with whom I could talk about it and I'm very happy to introduce you to Katerina Popova. Uh, she is also a Russian artist who lives in Philadelphia. Katerina Popova relocated to the United States from Vladimir at the age of 12. Kat is not only an artist but also a creative entrepreneur. She is the founder of Create Magazine, the Create Podcast, and the coaching program for artists titled The Art Queens. She is also an author of the Complete Smartest Guidebook for artists who want to level up their marketing skills. Okay, Kat, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I'm very excited to see you here. I'm so excited too. I'm I'm very excited to connect with fellow Russian artists and just to, I love your work, by the way. I've actually been following you for a few years and I'm so happy you reached, reached out. <laughs> Thank you. The topic of our conversation today is going to be about overcoming limiting beliefs. But before we um, talk about that, please introduce yourself to those who have never seen your work and just tell us what you do. Absolutely. I love this topic. <laughs> and yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm very much deep into that right now. Uh, so thank you so much for having me. I am Kat Ekaterina Popova. I'm an artist. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a coach and I'm a dog mom. <laughs> and I grew up in Russia up until I was 13. And I moved here with my mom. And I've, you know, I studied in the American high school and university. And for the past decade, I've been painting interiors in my work and sort of exploring what home means to me, what belonging means to me through the lens of the interior space. But right now I'm actually like very much into new work. So I don't know what I'm doing right now. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a whole other new world that's opening. Um, but aside from my art, I'm also the founder of Create Magazine and the Create Podcast and also coach for uh, female artists looking to expand and build a beautiful life. So that's the short version. <laughs> we, we'll talk about all of that. <laughs> I guess first question that I'd like to ask, um, tell me about your experience of being an immigrant, because I think most of us experience a lost sense of belonging. And um, how did you deal with that? That's a great question. I think that's something that I've been really thinking about in my work. And so even now, I definitely found my community now. And I'll go back to how it felt in the beginning. And I think it took several years. And I always just tried to find my community locally. I think that was my big mistake. But thanks to the internet, I get to speak with people like you. I have clients from, you know, from all over the world, not just America, from India. So I think my journey of finding belonging has been my world has been opening like belonging isn't just cultural or you know even in terms of being an artist it's just really finding your soul family and when I first moved here I definitely really wanted to instantly you know find friends especially since I was a teenager and just you know have a community have people to hang out with and I certainly made some friends but I always just felt weird I always felt like 
there was something I couldn't express about myself and I couldn't explain where, how life was when I grew up in Russia. At the same time, I didn't belong to Russia anymore because I was so Americanized at that point. So I just always felt like this weird unidentified <laughs> blob mm-hmm. that was trying to find her way. And I think art really helps you do that. Not that you get answers from art, but it just helps you to to put your feelings out on canvas or paper or whatever you choose. But it definitely is a journey. And it I think I think the biggest thing is knowing that it's looking within versus trying to find specific people that will help you feel that validation or that belonging. But of course it, we are social beings. So it is important to find your circle, but it was quite challenging. I think moving to another country and I'm sure you had the same experience. How about you? It took me very uh, many years to process my emotions and you're right. Art helped me to, to deal with that. Um, because the more I painted, the more I understood myself, what I could bring into this world. And you're also right about validation. I used to search for validation from the outside, but then over time, it kind of changed for me. So it's not really important what happens on the outside. It's more about, you know, feeling at peace inside. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And the thing about outside validation, it is exciting when you win a prize or get, you know, recognized by someone, but it doesn't last. (laughs) You're ready for something else Mm -hmm. shortly after that. So, you know, it is important to have that intrinsic sort of sense of peace, like you said, and connection to yourself that, you know, you know, that unshakable part of you, no matter who's looking or not looking or buying your work. Um, it's the hardest part, I think, <laughs> mm-hmm. of being a human. Right. Okay, so we are going to talk about some of the limiting beliefs because it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for artists as well. And uh, some examples of common limiting beliefs could be I cannot draw people or I cannot paint I don't know, flowers Money is bad. I'm not good enough at something. Uh, I'm stupid. I'm not pretty and many more. So could you define what a limiting belief is and maybe explain what limiting beliefs you had and how you deal with them? Because they constantly pop up. It's a never ending (laughs) I know as you're listing that I'm like oh I have so many even now that I'm working through but it's such an amazing topic and you know even with my clients we're always trying to find new limiting beliefs because for every dream we have usually there's that you know obstacle of the limiting belief standing in our way so my definition of a limiting belief is it really is basic. It's the belief we picked up, whether it was from you know our family or culture or society in general about what we can and cannot do, what's possible for us, um, you know, whether or not we're the right person to take on a project or start something or you know a, a lot of for a lot of my clients it's like becoming self-employed or showing with a gallery. It's like a lot of basic stuff, but also as I'm going deeper into mine. 
it's actually like stuff that you're listing like, oh, well, I'm not classically trained. So I can't possibly change my work to this, or I can't use this medium because I didn't study that in the academy. You know, it could just be these rules we create in our mind. Some of the rules we just decided on based on our observation and some of them, someone might've planted in our, you know, if you went to art school and you had a very controlling, you know, very uh, traditional or stuck in their ways professor that said, you can't do this or you can do that that might teach you to not do certain things just because of that belief. So I think there's so many layers too, but mm-hmm. I think it's so important to be observant of our thoughts and to question them because a lot of our thoughts aren't really our own. It's just from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And just to see, is this what I really believe or is this what I heard? And I just decided to adopt it to my own life. I think a lot of uh, beliefs come from, society and how it's structured and um, each society values certain things and so beliefs kind of stem from that when I uh, came here um, a lot of things changed for me because I observed people and how free they were um, in their interaction with others so I think a lot of uh, limiting beliefs come from society, but also from families, because we all have roles within each family. Then when we start breaking them, <laughs> it becomes a breaking point as well. <laughs> totally. I can totally relate to that. Or I, even I think going as far as saying, like not having an example in your family of something that you want to do And it just doesn't give you, um, not that you're not hopeful, but it just doesn't give you any basis to go off of, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing to refer your life to and you're basically making up something brand new. So it could be quite confusing Mm -hmm. and it makes weird interactions with family because they don't know how to help you or how to talk to you about your path. (laughs) So it definitely creates a little bit of distance, I think. Mm -hmm. So what limiting belief did you have? Oh, I have so many. (laughs) Do we have all day for this? Well, I think for me, I always just, and so I have like layers and histories of limiting beliefs. And for a lot of it was, of course, you know, not knowing how I'm going to support myself because I didn't want to teach. Like I never wanted to become a professor and everything in art school, everyone said you have to go be a professor or work in a museum or something very, you know, Study and that's, yeah, exactly. And I, mm-hmm. I just didn't see myself doing that. It felt really weird. So my limiting belief was that I couldn't find something that I love. It would take me years and it would just be really hard. And in reality, there's so many different ways. So that's just one example. Another limiting belief was I would, some of it was really silly. I mean, I would be nervous to go to an art opening because I just didn't feel like I looked like an artist. <laughs> I don't even know what an artist is supposed to look like, but you know, in art school, they would always be like, you know, hipsters or super out there. And I was always kind of like, there was nothing crazy about the way that I looked. And I felt like I wasn't artistic enough on the outside to become famous, which now I look around so many different types of artists. I'm like, what is that even, <laughs> where did that come from? And of course I let that go years ago. And then there's other limiting beliefs about, um, my skill, I was really conflicted because I'm not a realist. I'm not traditionally trained, even though I really wanted to be, 
but I also wasn't like super contemporary out there. So like, I felt like because I'm kind of in between, there wasn't a space for me to experience success and recognition. And I realized, I proved myself wrong. I showed myself that, that there's enough space for all types of artists and creatives out there. Um, but it's just making these absolute rules in our head, like what you can be, what you can't be Mm -hmm. as if we run the world. And as if we know, you know, (laughs) every type of person that might be interested in us, we don't see the whole picture. Mm -hmm. So how did you, uh, start overcoming them? Because basically it's all about overcoming the beliefs. First, you kind of have to notice how you think. Then you process why you think that, and then you begin <laughs> begin the work. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. I mean, exactly what you said. I think getting a few years ago, right around the time that I left my day job, I started to get really into personal development, and it was really new to me. I remember I started by, I think I was listening to, um, you know, Think and Grow Rich, and Uh, Bob Proctor and a few others like Marie Forleo. And it was like so new to me. My brain was like, what? Because when you hear of that stuff, you think like weird gimmicky salespeople, you know, you don't think that actually your mindset work is so important. So when I first discovered like quality self-development, it really just blew my mind. And I started to actually do the exercises they recommended, like, you know, writing out limiting beliefs, like things like we heard money doesn't grow on trees, like stuff like that. And I would just start really basic. And later on, once I had a little more resources, I hired a coach and had someone, you know, go deeper with me because some things that we don't feel safe, some things are just really personal and, you know, maybe some trauma is attached to them. So just having another person there to guide you through it is really important if you have the ability to, or therapy is another great way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, I think, just doing meditation, journaling, getting to know myself, not hiding from myself really helped me to start tapping into them. And finally, like the most important step is when you feel safe enough and you have identified a limiting belief, trying to disprove it, to show yourself and show your brain that that is in fact not true. Give advice to to our listeners, like, how would you overcome a limiting belief? Okay, so here's a really good example. I, um, when I was younger, uh, my mom, you know, we grew up in the 90s in Russia. And as you know, it was a very crazy time. And there was a lot of poverty. And my mom worked as a translator. So sometimes she would get a lot of money, like whether it was from Europe or US visitors that she translated for. And we'd have a lot of money. But then um, she didn't have work for a while and it would disappear. So it was that feast and famine and just situations like that taught me that we can never have savings. We can never have that. So subconsciously, I kind of absorbed that into my head and in adulthood, I just could never have savings. I'm so good at earning money. I'm always hustling. And, but for some reason I would just get so frustrated. I'm like, why? Like, it's not even like anything lavish, like something would break or, an unexpected expense would pop up. And so anyways, I started to observe the the cycle and the pattern of this feast and famine. And after I identified it, I did a meditation um, for anyone listening. It was through Lacey Phillips to be magnetic. Mm -hmm. She is, um, you know, she does a lot of healing work. 
And I was like an inner child meditation. And I saw the exact moment where I truly picked up on this limiting belief. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in the, actually taking a bath and I jumped out and I told my boyfriend, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I know where this came from now. I understand this is what happened. And it was so dumb. He's like, I know I could have told you that. Like, it was like, how, how did you not know that? And I was like, I just, I didn't know. I thought it was all this stuff happening on the outside to me. So after I I fully understood what was happening with this limiting belief, I decided to start playing little games. So I would just keep the money in an account um, as long as possible. It wasn't even big amounts. It was just like, it's safe to save. I create an affirmation. That's another great tip. Like create the opposite of that limiting belief as an affirmation, just to keep you on track. And then just practice keeping, even if it's just a small amount. And then when you see it's still there after a few days or a week or whatever the the length of time is like, you know, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yes, you can do this. This was not true. Um, So just that's like a very basic example. And you can apply this to anything, art, business, you know, money, health, and just like training yourself to talk to yourself instead of just accepting what's happening, because a lot of it's coming from us. Mm Mm-hmm. Personally, I did a lot of, um, and I still do, um, affirmations. And at first, it feels very foreign because this is the idea that's not there. But um, because I keep repeating it, sometimes for months, um, it actually changes my uh, perception and my thinking. And we all have a unique vision or unique perception of reality. And I think uh, this happens because we all, we all have unique up, upbringing. Yeah, and I think it's super important to observe what we think. And if the thinking process is negative, it's important to overcome it. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely believe in affirmations working too. I wrote, I found a affirmation I wrote, writing them down is really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. I wrote an affirmation when I first quit my day job and I did not know what was going to happen. It was a very crazy year. I wrote down how much I wanted to make on a little sticker and I had these stickers everywhere. I put them in my drawers, in my studio. Like I, it was a Bob Proctor affirmation. It said, I'm so happy and grateful now that I'm making you know, an amount per year. Um, And I would look at it every day and I forgot about it because now I have a different goal and I found it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like doubled this. And it was crazy how your brain, when it has that goal or that vision, it can work behind the scenes to like get there. We just, we don't even notice it some of the time. If you enjoy watching and listening to this podcast and wish to support the artist behind all the work, help by sharing this episode and subscribing to this channel. You can also choose to donate any amount you like. All the links are in the show notes. Big thanks to all of you, and I really appreciate it. What was your most intense emotion and how did it change you? in terms of (laughs) such an emotional person um Uh, we all are and you know (laughs) as artists we're very sensitive too that's why i'm asking i think this is goes for the past decade my emotion like i would say there's two parts you know the negative and the positive the negative was feeling 
fearing or experiencing like abandonment issues so not feeling Mm -hmm. like safe or belonging anywhere Mm -hmm. and then the positive was teaching myself through my new family through community um that really deep sense of safety and belonging and truly being accepted for who I am so I think the emotion I'm trying to describe it I need to pull up the feelings wheel (laughs) the emotion I guess I just felt I felt like accepted um, and yeah. not in a way of like, you know, career or anything, but just like, I could just be me and it's enough, even when I'm not doing mm-hmm. great in my career or health or whatever, you know, just, it's okay to be me and it's safe to just let be without makeup and mm-hmm. be silly. And, um, so I guess it's acceptance. So how did you reach that point? I also dealt with, uh, abandonment for a very long time, for many years, and I couldn't get rid of it. I always felt it. So how did you get rid of it? I mean, I mean, there's still traces of it. I noticed it creeping up with certain unrelated things, mm-hmm. not even in my personal life, but um, it's, it's deep, it's deep rooted. Cause it, I think, you know, if you experience it as a child, it's, it's really hard to let it fully go, but I've definitely felt <laughs> the light coming through the clouds mm-hmm. um I would all same thing as with limiting beliefs just trying to identify where it comes from a coach my coach uh last year gave me a really powerful question to ask myself it was what does this remind you of and then when we can pinpoint what that memory or experience that originated this feeling is it's easier to separate it from the present reality because it's not you know, it's not that it's happening to us now. We are safe right now for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's a different, completely different situation, but we tend to like put it all together with that original painful experience. So whenever I'm feeling it, I just ask myself, like, is this the same thing? Am I truly in danger? Am I truly like, is my life in danger? Usually the answer is no, it's just my feelings are hurt. Um, there's something we can talk through or create a different way of dealing with it. Um, as a business owner, I actually really had to deal with a lot of abandonment issues because even though it's business, it's not personal, mm-hmm. you know, even with like a client leaves or, you know, things are different. Like it would just really trigger me. And it made me think like, am I not enough? Like, is everyone going to leave? <laughs> is everyone mm-hmm. going to forget about me? And, um, I, it's, it takes a lot of strength to realize that it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a fascinating topic. I don't know why it's so difficult, but it's still there for me. But you are right, because um, it doesn't take a lot of space anymore. Uh, it used to take my entire space, and now it's just there. But I know it's it's not important anymore. I totally, I think it like, it's still a little bit there for me too, but when it happens, it's quicker. Like it, mm-hmm. when it first started happening, I think it was like in my late twenties, um, especially when I first turned 30, for some reason, all those emotions just started to like, mm-hmm. uh, they all surfaced and I had like a mental breakdown because of them. And mm-hmm. I remember when I would, because it was so fresh and so on the surface, all that old trauma whenever anything would happen that reminded me of it, I would feel physically ill and I would might be in bed for a few days because I couldn't process it. But now when it happens, I still have that yucky feeling, but it goes away like within a few hours. I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful because it's so hard. 
so yeah. hard. So how did you express it in your art? Because yeah. your, your paintings are very colorful and they're big and you painted interior spaces. So can you talk about that? Like how uh, yeah. it connected to your thinking or emotions? I don't think it's it consciously connected. On the surface, I was painting about home and belonging. And in a way, not that I'm discounting the work from the past decade. I'm just recently starting something new. But I think it was almost like subconsciously, I was probably working through a lot of stuff while I was painting because painting is healing in itself. But mm-hmm. I never set out and said I was going to address my emotional wounds or traumas through my art mm-hmm. and you know, in a way, I think the colors and the textures were like an escape for me. Um, even though some of my paintings, you know, have some darker elements, I didn't feel ready and I didn't feel safe enough to openly explore my emotions. And now that I'm starting to do that, it's really hard. And and there's days where I don't even want to paint. Not that I want my work to be dark, but just being so open with myself, it's really not easy. And I have so much more respect for people, you know, even like Frida Kahlo, who just painted her pain like that like I am it's scary it's actually really scary so I think my work was more of an escape um and I'm so grateful for my art because it carried me through and it supported me and but I think I'm ready for a new relation like a deeper relationship with my art and it is really scary Mm -hmm. good You mentioned that you didn't want to be a teacher or a professor. And I think that's because you're actually a very good entrepreneur. Thank you. Tell us how we can overcome the imposter syndrome. Mm. (laughs) How can we deal with that? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so real. When I was... Even last year when I released my first big six-week course for artists, I was like, who am I? You know, because I'm also going through a lot of changes. And it's like, it's this temptation to have everything perfect and have your whole life be completely perfectly laid out before you create anything or create a community or business. And it's so, it's never going to (laughs) happen. And I learned that just overcoming that imposter syndrome and realizing that you're not trying to solve everything. You're not trying to solve the world problems. You're just trying to create something for someone who needs it. It makes it, takes the pressure off. Um, It helps you learn so much. And and that's how it is. It's like, just get it out there. You can always improve. You can always learn more and polish it. Um, But if you really have a desire to build something, it's going to happen once you put it out there little by little, because I think imposter syndrome is just something that especially women will always deal with. And the only way to get over it is to just prove it wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think it's also a limiting belief. Uh, that's why I'm asking about it. Yeah. One of my, uh, one of my coaches, Kara Allwell, she shared something with me in terms of it is a limiting belief with mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. She shared that you can only be an imposter if someone, if you are pretending to be someone else, like if I say I'm going to be Veronica and I'm going to (laughs) try to paint exactly like you and say that I'm you and actually do something completely outside of myself, like that's truly the only way to be an imposter, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's in our mind that we think we need to be more than what we are. But in reality, each year, 
we learn something new and there's always newer artists or people that are new to the field that want to learn what we know, right? Like not everyone, this isn't even with education, but like, for example, building a community, some people might not want to be a part of a giant massive community. They might want something intimate that's very specific and niche. So just realizing that we can't, comparison is a big issue with this, like comparing yourself to things that already exist, comparing yourself to big brands or people that have been doing this for years and realizing that you can actually do a lot with what you have right now. And there are people that need it if it is on your heart to create it. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are just been some ways that I've been able to push past those thoughts. You you mentioned the comparison game (laughs) that also bugs uh, a lot of artists and I think people in general um, there is also a lot of uh, jealousy um, among artists some artists begin thinking oh I'm not good enough and they be you know start this jealousy game (laughs) Uh, uh, and I I personally know several artists who are really good and like they are so advanced. They got so many awards and they still feel insecure about themselves and what they do. So can you give advice about that, how this could be changed? Yeah, that's, it's a shame. And I think it all comes down to, well, I think it's really important to have creative boundaries you know, it, it's definitely okay to have big goals and, and want to improve your skill. But like you said, even if you achieve all those awards, even if you're the master of your skill, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do that is to compare your own progress to yourself, right? Because that's all we can. That's the only measure that we have. Have I gotten even 1% better this year than I was last year? Mm-hmm. That's really the only measure because everything else Everyone has a different story. Some people have a huge family they need to take care of. Some people have more resources than others. So there are so many factors for why someone is able to do something you're not. It's just not fair to yourself to have those kinds of expectations. Um, and there's there's just like no rule. Like <laughs> there's no rule for how to be a human, right? Some people have kids, some don't. Some have houses, some have apartments. And you could still be really successful with your own vision of what your success is so I think it goes back to what we're saying like creating a vision for yourself that's unique to you um, understanding what it is your version of success because if you're constantly competing with everyone else you're never going to get there but like what are your personal markers for what will feel good or what you'll be really proud of yourself for whether it's financial or career just being really good about your own boundaries Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's been the biggest lesson. You can only celebrate yourself based on, you know, what your measure of success is. Otherwise, I see it so much in our community. I'm really grateful. Most of our community is amazing and everyone supports each other. But once in a while, there'll be arguments, you know, oh, this person copied me or they shouldn't have gotten that. And every time I see that, I just am like, no, like I, this doesn't even make sense to me. You know, it's, it's just a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have a vision and then basically break it down to small goals because it's very difficult to get somewhere quickly. 
But if we break it down to small goals and then celebrate them when we achieve them, it becomes a lot easier. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I was just even talking in terms of art making, you know, starting something brand new and usually I'm pumping out tons of paintings, but now I'm like, okay, I have to commit to something. So I hope to have 10 paintings by spring. So what does that mean for me? Each month I have to make at least like two or three, just like breaking it down to the point where it becomes attainable and not scary. <laughs> so tell me why why did you create a magazine which is called Create? <laughs> oh, such well the first so the first magazine I made was I was newly graduated. I think it must have been two or three years after college and really frustrated because I couldn't find any work and I missed being a part of the community and I at the time I was volunteering a lot at museums and things like that. And I just really wanted my own thing. Honestly, it just felt like I was always that volunteer Mm -hmm. (laughs) that had to ask for something to do. And I wanted to just have my own project. And I got the idea. Uh, My first magazine was called Fresh Paint and Fresh Paint Magazine. And this was back in 2013. And I just figured out how to do it. But I had um, a business partner that didn't work out in 2016, so I rebranded to Create. And the reason why I called it Create was because, you know, at the time I was recreating my business. I was creating a life. I was also painting. And I just wanted it to be about like, you know, the drive to create. (laughs) Like, And it it also helped me expand beyond just painting because my first magazine was mostly focused on um, contemporary painting from emerging artists. So it's been a journey. It's been a really fun journey. Uh, I'm so grateful I did it. Definitely a lot of work though. (laughs) What's the purpose of the magazine? What do you want to achieve with that? So initially I wanted to create a space for emerging artists to share their work. I didn't have a lot of places to apply. So I basically was kind of creating what I needed, even though I didn't show my work there. Mm -hmm. But these days I love kind of having these conversations between all the parts of the art world, you know, from curators to art fairs to um, designers and entrepreneurs within the art world and just kind of having a conversation. And of course our mission to have the, uh, emerging artists is still there. We have like juried calls for art um, and we invite a guest curator usually to do the call. So it's just another way for artists to build, you know, their resume and also get some support from the community mm-hmm. like through our platform. So it's, it's definitely fun. The purpose, I think it, it really is like a community. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Instagram because it's a very big platform and it's, I think it's very important for um, artists to be there. I think a lot of us have a love, love and hate relationship <laughs> with it. <laughs> so give us uh, tips uh, how we can attract the right audience uh, to sell art on Instagram. My biggest tip is to not try to be, try to be more you. It doesn't mean that you have to have a personal feed, but just sharing, like, especially stories are really great because I think a lot of us are visual. So we want our feed to look good, but I think Instagram stories and reels are a great way to just show who you are. What do you care about who you are outside of your work? You know, what issue? it could be related to your art too. You know, maybe it's the material or the technique you use, or maybe it's like 
the ideas that you really care about, whether it is mindset or, you know, limiting beliefs, stuff like that. I share a lot of that with my audience. And I found that even my collectors are kind of becoming more part of my community instead of like, here is a painting I made, like someone bought it. I have no idea who they are or why they bought it. Like I'm starting to understand my people more. Mm -hmm. So instead of thinking of growing numbers and having a big account, like think of actual real connections with humans. I know it sounds like really cliche, but I'm, I also have a love hate relationship with Instagram because it's annoying to have like a hundred people follow you and like 300 people unfollow you because who knows like what goes on on that uh, account. So the only thing we can focus on is, you know, just showing who we are, posting quality stuff, quality images or process videos or whatever it is that you do. And then just being as connected as we can, of course, with boundaries, because it can be a really huge time. Um, (laughs) It cannot take up a lot of time. So just not worrying about it too much, because to be honest with you, I have like three Instagram accounts. I have more like personal ones just for fun, but I have like, so I have the big one for create that has uh, 180,000 followers. Then I have mine that has like 50. And then I have this one with, for my art queens community. And like, it only, well, not only it's still a bigger account, but it's because I built it with a very strong intention of what kind of person I want to talk to on there. That one gets the most comments and engagements, even though it's the smallest account. Um, just because I was very clear on who I want there. I don't want just empty numbers on that account. I want like real people that believe in what I believe in or like the type of work that I like. Um, so just really being focused and setting an intention for even just setting an intention for how you want to use your Instagram, whether it is to make sales or to just have a bigger reach. I think it's okay to treat it like you do anything else. Like if you want to be healthier, you set an intention, you know, to be the best version of yourself can also set intentions for social media. I even have an affirmation for Instagram. I just say like, my Instagram is constantly growing and attracting my ideal clients and collectors and just really feeling that and Mm -hmm. trusting it. Even if it's not like growing viral, just Mm -hmm. it's growing. It's growing at its own pace. (laughs) I mean, you talk differently on every account that you have so what's the difference so in the create magazine account I don't really manage I mean I'll pop in there sometimes but I have my assistants helping me with that that one we just share community work things that were published podcasts you know it's very it's a business account so I can outsource it it has a system to it Um, my art account I just post my art (laughs) and I talk you know about what I'm doing in the studio or what's inspiring me Mm-hmm. And on that account, in my stories, I do talk about things like mindset and, you know, just personal things that I can share. And on the Art Queens account, and most of it, actually, my assistant also does, but I will post motivational things on there that are helping me with my mindset, um, you know, business tips. That one is like specific for a female artist or female identifying artist that is trying to build like you know her her empire (laughs) your art queen's account is basically your course that you teach right yeah it's my coaching so I also have a membership so a lot of it's the work of my members and like coaching content (laughs) Mm -hmm. how do you attract the right audience uh, to sell your art I think that's the most important questions for artists 
uh, to figure out because it depends whom you attract. There are people who like your work, but they will never buy it because of different reasons. You know, your pricing might be out of reach. Uh, um, you, you paint too big or you paint too small, whatever the reason. So how do you find the right person uh, to buy your art? Yeah, this is something that is always, you know, there's obvious practical ways you can start looking for your ideal people. So for example, you know, here's just like one example is to go to Instagram accounts that have art that maybe is kind of similar to yours, seeing who's commenting. Sometimes you'll even see like little hints, like, oh, I love this. This this is my house. Like you'll see comments like Mm -hmm. that, you know, and just like seeing who that person is like, and asking questions, like what is their demographic? You know, precisely where did they live? If you can pinpoint that information, what is their taste? What other things are they following or liking? Where do they shop? Just trying to understand who might be interested. You're never going to have a perfect avatar. You're never going to have a perfect because every human is so different, but you're going to start to see some patterns and a more mindset thing you can do is actually set an intention for what kind of collectors you want to have. Um, you can start visualizing them, thinking about their personality. How do you interact with them? Really imagining them. And in a way, when you're clear on who you want to work with, when you start typing out your captions or writing your emails, or even doing talks at a gallery, it will be easier for you to have someone to speak to instead of just saying random stuff into the void. You'll start sharing things that might be an overlap between you and your collector. Like maybe they care about a political issue or maybe they really passionate about, you know, ending hunger or something like you will start to see trends because I don't believe that a hundred percent of the time humans only buy something that's visual. I think they are also tied to a mission, a story, a deeper connection, because we have so many layers where we live in a physical plane, emotional plane, spiritual plane. So there's going to be multiple connections that happen with our collector outside of just the visual final product, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much that goes into making art. So the more we can visualize them also, well, as always getting to know ourselves and what we care about really helps too, because then you can uh, speak about it easier. Um, But that's kind of what I found really works and it happens in mysterious ways. It's not like a formula or anything. It's more of being more open to meaningful interactions instead of thinking of it as a transaction. Because I think art is so personal. It's not like buying a, a cute top. <laughs> you know, you have to look at something every day. So I, I think people are attracted, like they have a specific emotion when they see art. And um, that's the main reason why they buy it. And also people are attracted to a story because they can connect the story to art. It's very uh, intuitive. It is. And I think art buying is intuitive too. Like I started recently collecting art and the things that I really want to buy, I can't explain some Mm -hmm. of the stuff I buy. I'm like, I don't know why I like this, but I like this. Mm -hmm. And art is a language. So also we have to trust a little bit. That's where the faith comes in. We have to trust that the thing we created with its own language, someone else is going to understand it. (laughs) Tell me why you started your podcast, because you also have your own podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I was very shy my whole life. And 
it was something I challenged myself to speak more. And now it's like even weird thinking that I was shy, but I was so afraid to go to any gallery opening or to speak with people. But at the same time, I knew I wanted to have deeper interactions because the magazine is great, but reading something versus talking with someone is a whole different mm-hmm. energy. So that's really it. And I kept seeing little signs everywhere. I would walk on the street and there would be like a mosaic that said, speak up or use your voice. And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay, I will do it. So it's just a fun way to keep going deeper within our community. Mm-hmm. How about you? Why did you start yours? The reason is very similar. Um, I felt very disconnected. You know, this COVID times, it just, uh, <laughs> it killed me in a way. I I always struggled uh, finding a connection with anyone. And I think I came to a point when, I think it was a breaking point because everything seemed to be very meaningless. And um, I decided that I would change my thinking and uh, change my perception a little bit if I just start doing that. (laughs) It's difficult for me to talk. I thought I would start this as a way of repairing the missing connection or the missing link. That's beautiful. It definitely makes you feel more connected. I noticed that I no longer have that feeling that I'm missing out on something. Mm -hmm. Since I started the podcast, I feel like I have a bigger support network. Mm -hmm. I also feel like I'm learning a lot when I um, interview artists and other people who relate to the arts. It just, um, it's a very enriching experience for me. Who is your greatest teacher? No, <laughs> life. <laughs> life. <laughs> I don't well, know if I have like a specific person. Mm-hmm. I had a, a few great professors that were really helpful, but um, in terms of teaching, I think it's like, I think it's ourselves. I think it's when we are willing to listen, you know, find out what it is we're here to do. It's an ongoing teacher. <laughs> it's very, very um, intense. Okay, here's another question, a difficult one, or maybe an easy one, I don't know. Uh, What did you chase all your life that you don't care about anymore? Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, there's a few things. I used to really want to move to New York City, and um, I was going through this deep healing journey and really just getting to know myself because I always just thought I had to live there to have this perfect artist life that I imagined you know, that you see these people living, whatever. Anyway, and there's still people that love that, but I just wasn't honest with myself. And I thought, oh, I have to move to New York City. Like that was the goal. And I tried so hard to make it happen. And it was creating a lot of like problems in my relationship. And like, cause my partner does not want to move there. Mm-hmm. But over the past year, you know, I was going through healing. I stopped drinking and I realized I'm like, I actually really love the countryside. Like in Russia, I love my dacha. Like, what am I even talking about moving to New York? That's not even me. Like, I love going out into the woods. So just getting that honesty was like, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't. I would be so unhappy. Um, so yeah, that was like a big one. Okay. <laughs> and I love visiting. I love visiting. It's just, I don't want to live there. Mm-hmm. Very good. I, I think 
New York is very intense. <laughs> and again, it's a love and hate relationship. I mean, I spent some time there when I studied art. I took classes and I commuted there uh, for a long time. So I lived in State College and then I would take a 6 a.m. bus um, to wow. get me to New York for one class. And I stay there like for three hours and then I go back and I would come back at midnight. Oh <laughs> yeah, How long was... was that bus ride? Um, it did, well, because it was during winter, you know, snow and stuff, sometimes it took me six hours to get there. Oh my God. And um, <laughs> on a good day, it was like a, a four, four hour drive. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, very difficult but yeah. I I felt so happy when I was in class because I finally found people who had the same values or wanted to do the same thing because um, when I started learning how to draw and paint um, it was very difficult to find anyone who knew classical oil painting techniques yeah, and, that's and so true. It, it was almost impossible. And it was like about uh, 20 years ago. Now you can find a lot of people who do this. Yeah, where did you go to school in New York that you found? Um, it was Grand Central Academy of yes. Art. I just yeah. started taking classes this mm-hmm. winter online because they had them. It's a wonderful school. My friend mm-hmm. is going there. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. So I was just taking classes there, commuting. Oh my God. Uh, and I also enjoyed uh, going to the Students League of New York because their education is based on painting from a figure. There is not that much education there, but because you keep painting from a live person, from a figure, it, it also helped me a lot. It's amazing. Yeah, but I love being there. But at the same time, I know how difficult it could be to live there. Uh, yeah. So expensive and just overwhelming. I think that as an empath, it's a lot of energy to process mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. But, it's but that's of, amazing. It's kind of like Moscow, though. I mean, there is a lot of energy there. A lot. Did yeah. you... Um, did you have a background in art when you first started taking classes at the Grand Central or Mm-mm. was this? Uh, my, my first degree was in business um, and I felt completely disconnected from that. It didn't make any kind of sense. And so when I came to the States, I, you know, I was pregnant and I kind of decided to fill my time uh, taking a class and so I went to a local community college I started there uh, at the community college and I I don't know it changed me I felt excited I wanted to study I felt happy it was a very happy time that's awesome I have two more questions left what people value and you don't when do like other people value and I Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. I think the traditional life, like the American dream, um, not that I don't have big dreams. I definitely am very ambitious, but I think it's just, for me, I I felt really disconnected and judged when, for example, I wasn't married. My partner and I still aren't married, but, you know, we've been together for 13 years. 
we didn't buy a house because we're both building our careers and we're just investing everything into our growth. We didn't even get a dog for a while because we were just so focused. And so when people judge your path, I think there's a, there's obviously rule like room for people to have the perfect life, like, you know, career house, kids, second kid, whatever. But I think just, I just never valued that because I, I really had these big dreams and I wanted to give them a shot before I settled. And now I'm starting to get ready to buy a house. So it's, it's different now, but I think just like immediately from college or high school or whatever, I just never wanted that. So Mm -hmm. I didn't value that structure, you know, that social expectation. What is the American dream for, um, in your opinion, and how is it different from yours? Hmm. I know I think it's definitely changing, especially after COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, I think the dream is to be comfortable. I think the dream is for a lot of people to have safety, which they associate. And I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but just from what I've observed, don't leave that job, that six figure job. Like, you know, you just stay there, even if it sucks, even if you want to die inside every day, like just stay there, they pay your bills. Like that is something that I just can't deal with. I would rather figure it out. I would rather let go of some things in my lifestyle than feel like a slave to something. Mm -hmm. I think my American dream is to, I mean, obviously being an immigrant, I want to, I want to achieve certain success, not even just for me financially, but just to show others because it is so hard just to live mm -hmm. here and to start a new life here. But I want to be an example of what's possible, even if you don't come from money or if you had no connections here, mm -hmm. like just to build yourself up, knowing that you can always rebuild and try again. Um, that's my dream. I think just being that example for people like me when I was younger, because I didn't really have a lot of people to look up to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, when I look back, uh, I think what I missed is the role model. And then I missed on getting a mentor, because I think things would be a lot easier if I had a role model, and then I had a mentor to go through life. But I didn't. And I think these two things are super important. Yeah, absolutely. And now that I have more resources, like if I want to learn something or if I need support, I think coaching is really powerful mm -hmm. when you're ready and you have a specific thing you want to work on. I think coaching only works if you are ready to commit to something mm -hmm. with another person. Um, but I remember in college, I would just so try to find a mentor and I had amazing professors, but I never could say that one of them was like my mentor, you know, and I always wanted that so badly. I'm like, I just want someone to tell me what to do, <laughs> but you know, it's also good to be independent and make your own decisions. But I really crave that, like almost like, you know, a father or mother figure in terms of your career or art, it would be so lovely. <laughs> so what's next for you? Well, I am just building my, I'm actually rebranding, um, not rebranding, just elevating our magazine where we want to focus even more on the community. So working with the designer and copywriter and stuff, it's like very businessy. And of course, just figuring out what my next series of art will be trying to stay open and not put pressure on myself is the hard part because I just want to have it all done and <laughs> get in the flow. But you know, it takes time to get clear on an idea. So Just being so, patient. <laughs> so do you have anything in mind? Like, do you want to switch from painting, doing something else or? 
Um, I definitely love painting. I was playing with clay just for fun and it was amazing, but I want to just keep painting. I think for me right now, the themes are healing and nature. So just trying to take my feelings and my emotions and the energy and figure out what that looks like. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I think some animals, maybe like more subdued tones, not so much bright colors. Um, that's as far as I got. <laughs> I just keep sketching every day and looking at art and going outside. So we'll see. <laughs> okay. Anything else you'd like to add before we quit? Um, well, for anyone who's interested, we are um, always featuring new artists. We also have a podcast and as well as have a membership for uh, women identifying artists it's called the Art Queens. And it's a coaching membership that is only $22 a month. It's going to be opening this fall again. And we have mindset work, business strategy, artists and curators and coaches coming in that always are sharing some insightful knowledge and also our community is so supportive. So if anyone needs additional support, you can come hang out with me. I'm always on there in our facebook group <laughs> and so how can people find you oh thank you that's a great question it's um artqueens.co so um the um you can also go to instagram at the art queens okay fantastic thank you yeah well kat thanks so much for taking a part and you know have this conversation it's been a lot of fun Thank you so much for having me. It was such a great conversation. I'm so honored to be here. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.